Hi, it's Dwyer, gamblersadvisory.com, a free site, bettingangle.us, a free site. It's August the 13th, 2023. Let's talk about Emmanuel Navarrete going to Arizona and beating Oscar Valdez. But first remember, the opinion you should follow should be your own. Just consider this video to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Now, Navarrete delivered for us. Believe it or not, they gave you the champ in this fight. And you got a plus 150. That's how ridiculous the line was before the fight. Right? Let me also say, too, it's even more striking because on the ESPN telecast, they tell you right at the beginning of round one, that the late money came in on Valdez. In other words, there were gamblers out there who waited until the last minute, then jumped in and got the line on Valdez, who was the favorite. Now, let me just say that this last minute money, you should never panic on it unless it pertains to information, right? Like, uh, late information that the uh, fighter has a bad shoulder, right? That there's some undisclosed injury. The fighter has a bad hand. Or that somebody important, the fighter's trainer, isn't going to be in the fighter's corner. Or that something has happened to someone close to the fighter, right? A father, a mother, a brother has been injured in a car crash or something like that. Short of that information, you need to go on your research, right? You took the time to research the fight. Don't get thrown off your game by hearing at the last minute from ESPN or whoever that a lot of late money has come in on his opponent, right? Emmanuel Navarrete is still Emmanuel Navarrete. What he brought to the table Oscar Valdez was not prepared for. I know you're reading right now that this was a Mexican war. This fight was close. This fight wasn't close. You knew at the end of the fourth round that Navarrete had at least a two, if not a four-round advantage. You also saw with your own eyes, and we'll discuss it, the problems Navarrete was causing for Valdez. In other words, you knew going into the fight, both of these fighters' games, and you understood that Navarrete was on his, that the pacing of the fight, everything that was happening, was happening on Navarrete's timetable. Right? Just understand, folks. Get the concept. We'll discuss it here. The flaws make the diamond. Right, The guy who's able to go off script, the guy who feels that the script, the right way to do things, is just one way to do things, has a distinct advantage over an opponent who can't deal with the unorthodox. Right, Put a different way, Navarrete, and I don't know what kind of music he listens to, 
Badavarate is a jazz man in a classical sport. Now let's stylistically give a backstory example here, right from a different sport. St. Louis Cardinal fans know this story because it's a big part of that team's history. They had a young guy generations ago who was a great hitter coming up. His name was Stan Musial. And according to folklore, Musial did everything the wrong way, right? Stood the wrong way, held the bat the wrong way, did everything the wrong way, but was a great hitter. So supposedly an executive then issued an order for the entire coaching staff. And that order was whatever you do, do not change Stan Musial. Well, Stan Musial became known as Stan the Man. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's a St. Louis Cardinal legend, right? This is in baseball. Well, let me just say this. You know, you know the person. You know the Stan Musial type guy. You probably have a guy like this in your circle or a woman like this in your circle. Right? They do things their own way. Right? You talk to them, you say, hey, you know, you want to do this, that, and the other to get ahead. And they tell you, you know what? I'm actually going to do these other things. I'm going to do this my way because I feel comfortable doing things my way. The jazz world of Gillespie, Davis, Coltrane is filled with people like this. Emmanuel Navarrete is a three-division champion, folks, who recently had to get off the canvas to win a fight, right? Not this fight against Valdez, but just to understand, he got clocked, he had to get off the canvas. He's doing things his way, right? He's a jazz man. Well, let me just say, the so-called proper way to do things in boxing, the right footwork, the right defense, and in this fight, it was mind-blowing to see how low Navarrete had his right hand at times, knowing that Oscar Valdez has one of the best left hooks in boxing. Right, you were watching Navarrete cavalierly dropping his hands and you thought to yourself Mike you know all it would take would be for Valdez to land a chin shot or a temple shot to completely materially change this fight and Navarrete was rolling the dice because that's who he is a risk taker and this of course is shortly after the fight where he had to get off the canvas Right. Also, you know the so-called proper way to do things with regard to pacing. Right. If a fight starts too fast, sometimes a cornerman will say, hey, son, slow down. There are 11 other rounds in this fight. Right. Sometimes they'll flash punch that numbers during a fight. You'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, you know, my guy's up here throwing 80 punches around. That's too many. He needs to bounce off. 
He needs to stick a jab and just move, pace himself, make sure that he has enough left for the championship rounds. So and keep in mind, this Navarrete-Valdez fight goes the distance. Well, just understand, Navarrete, a jazz guy stylistically, right? To him, that's just one way to do things. So let's talk about Navarrete. You need to think about this because he's singular in the sport of boxing, right? He is one of the sport's most important people. I would argue that he's a future Hall of Famer who thumbs his nose at boxing orthodoxy. Folks, this is a revolutionary. And understand, gamblers need to know about the revolutionaries because they get punished in the betting line. Right here, gamblers looked at these two guys, thought to themselves, well, Valdez is fundamentally sound. Navarrete is the high wire act, right? Walking on thread between skyscrapers. We don't trust him, right? If some technician gets knocked down, Andre Ward or someone like that, you say, well, Andre was just in the wrong place at the time of that punch. He's going to bounce back. But if a Navarrete gets knocked down, you think, you know what? That was a long time coming. This guy's too reckless defensively. This guy's too reckless in general. So, just understand, depending on your outlook, Navarrete has either terrible, that's the word, that Tim Bradley used, and I thought Bradley was on his game. He had a lot to say. You need to watch the telecast. He was excellent. But depending on your outlook, Navarrete either has terrible footwork or non-traditional footwork. The so-called proper way, if you're a righty, is to have your left foot Right, the foot opposite your dominant hand, out in front, to never have your legs together. Right, because the idea is you need to have a leg bracing you in case you get hit with an unexpected punch. You need to be sturdy. If your legs are together, nothing's bracing you from behind. Understand too, if you're moving forward, you're supposed to keep your left leg in front of your right leg. You're never supposed to cross your legs. Because again, if I have my legs crossed and I get hit at that moment, I have nothing bracing me. I might fall down. Suddenly it's a 10-8 round and I'm down by two rounds because of bad footwork. Right? So understand, if I'm moving forward toward Valdez... I'm supposed to lift my front leg first, not my back leg. I'm supposed to lift my front leg first if I'm moving forward, move that leg forward, then slide my back leg forward. 
right? That's how I'm supposed to do it. Now, let me just say, Navarrete doesn't follow that. His legs are sometimes together. It's even worse than that. Navarrete's legs are together because Navarrete is jumping into the pocket suddenly, throwing not just uppercuts, but body shots, right? On the ESPN telecast, Tim Bradley makes the argument that Navarrete's offensive game is designed to punish guys who have a high defensive guard. In other words, my hands are up, right? They're up around my temples. Navarrete will split them with an uppercut. And then think about how exposed an uppercut leaves you. In other words, a guy comes in to throw an uppercut. If I'm savvy and I can block the uppercut, I have that guy naked. Let's say he's throwing a right uppercut. What's protecting this side, the right side of his head? Nothing. Nothing. He's vulnerable to a hook. But Navarrete is a gambler. So he'll throw the uppercut, then he'll swing his leg over, he'll swing his body over. Then he's throwing hooks to your body. He's banking on that uppercut landing. So you get hit with the uppercut, you're leaning back, you can't hit him. As he steps deep in the pocket, he'll sometimes have his head right on your arm as he throws wicked hooks to your body. Right, so just understand, sometimes Navarrete's legs are together. His back leg is sometimes up in the air. It's not on the canvas bracing him. Let's make this complicated. As he's twisting and moving, sometimes his legs are together, sometimes his back leg is up. He'll be switching from orthodox to southpaw, above the waist. But you'll notice below the waist, his legs are all tangled up. Now let's ask a foundational question. What sparring partner could you possibly get to prepare yourself for an Emmanuel Navarrete fight? Let's say you're the opponent. How could you tell a sparring partner to mimic what this guy is doing with his feet? Folks, you can't. There's nobody out there like him. He's incredibly effective. He's only lost once. He's a three-division champ. He's incredibly effective. Right? What the market views, what the betting market here, which made him a plus 150, views as a disadvantage, believe it or not, is actually an advantage. The more unorthodox a guy is, 
the harder it is to prepare for him. Right now, Varate's feet are crazy. They're just simply crazy. You look at him, I can't look down at his feet if I'm an opponent and say, okay, he's about to come in with a power shot. He's leaning on his front leg because Navarrete is unorthodox. It's interesting, too, because you see Navarrete's entourage. He has several guys that are giving him advice. And you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, who would give him the advice to fight like this? Then you realize they're just going with it. It's as if you're in a band and then suddenly Coltrane takes over and starts some solo and you're the drummer and you're just thinking, okay, I've just got to flow with our lead sax. <laughs> I've just, I've just got to back up Coltrane here. That's Navarrete's corner. So, let's say this too. Navarrete is actually a technician. I know this is heresy, but he's a technician in his own style. This is not much different than Pat Mahomes in the pocket running around some guy runs up to him, and then you'll notice Mahomes, based on the situation, will throw the ball sidearm. Right? Mahomes does some things that quarterbacks are not supposed to do. Sometimes Mahomes won't look at his receiver. He'll throw no-look passes in a league where DBs are just hoping for interceptions. I'm talking about the NFL. Well, understand, folks, Navarrete is like Mahomes. So, Navarrete is really relying on his element of surprise when he comes in the pocket throwing things like uppercuts, which many fighters won't throw, which many of you were upset with AJ for not throwing much in his fight against Hellenius. Well, you're never going to be disappointed by Navarrete because opponents know he's going to throw uppercuts. That's a foundational part of his game. And the point is, this guy has figured out how to throw the uppercut and pivot whatever leg movement he's using into other punches. In fact, he's a combination puncher. Let me... Uh, say this too about Navarrete, and it's really important that folks realize how unorthodox this guy is. When it comes to pacing, forget about it. Right, folks? I think Navarrete won the 12th round against Valdez. He's averaging close to 100 punches a round. Understand, you saw this fight and you thought, wow, this is a quick pace in the early rounds. Navarrete kept that going for 12 rounds. That's who he is. You saw the pacing of this fight and you knew from early on 
Valdez is in trouble. While Valdez was in trouble, you saw him get a welt under his eye. You saw that welt get bigger and bigger and bigger as the fight went on. And you understood. This is a Navarrete fight. It's a Navarrete pace. He has the other guy hurt. Navarrete, of course, has a face that somehow in shootouts doesn't get marked. Because if you look at it, Navarrete, who has his hands low at times, isn't getting hit that much. Right? So, let me just say this. Boxing right now has a situation. Let's help the promoters here. Let's try to start a fire right now. You have a blockbuster fight. That's just right there in front of everyone. Navarrete is 5'7". Right? This fight was at 130. The box office king. And he's the king by a margin at the box office at 135 is Gervonta Davis. Let me just diplomatically say, um, I can't imagine a fighter who would push Davis, who sometimes needs to be pushed, who sometimes needs for fighters to come to him so Davis can show you why he's Gervonta Davis. Very heavy puncher, but an orthodox style. Gervonta Davis is foundationally sound. Understand, those are the guys who fall apart against Navarrete. I can't imagine a bigger fight around that weight class than three-division champion Navarrete going up to fight Gervonta Davis. Folks, that would be huge, right? Let me say this too. I know a lot of people haven't heard of Emmanuel Navarrete. Understand he has a fan base who knows all about him. At this fight against Valdez, you had Bob Arum sitting next to El Terrible, Eric Morales, who was sitting next to Marco Antonio Barrera. After the fight, Morales and Barrera hopped in the ring. You know, my point is this. I understand some calls were made. I'm sure the promoter said, hey, fellas, I'll comp you tickets if you come to this fight. You can sit by me. In other words, great seats right next to the promoter. Right? I'm sure there were financial inducements for these legends to show up to the fight. But just understand, Navarrete is the kind of guy who has legends showing up for the fight. I'm sure Marco Antonio Barrera gets a lot of calls asking him to show up for fights. This is the kind of fighter who, when you get the call and they say, hey, will you come to a Navarrete fight? The answer is, yes, I will be there. Where is the fight? In Arizona, I will meet you at the location. 
right? The boxing hardcore know this guy. I'm just telling you, a fighter like this who's going to be throwing down this level of volume against a Gervonta Davis who's going to have to look for more than just the left hook he had to defend himself against when he fought Ryan Garcia. Now you're talking about two-handed attack that's going to play havoc with Gervonta Davis's high guard, right? From a guy who is not going to be outthrown. In other words, the challenge for Davis, should he fight Navarrete? And I understand Navarrete would have to gain five pounds to fight him. But just to understand, the challenge is going to be against a guy with this level of value. Can I knock him down to get enough 10-8 rounds where I can win the fight on the scorecards if it goes the distance? Because if it doesn't, and Navarrete is throwing over a thousand punches over 12 rounds like he just did against Oscar Valdez, and Navarrete is doing so without running. In other words, he's in the pocket. He's throwing power shots. Against Valdez, he's predominantly a headhunter. Right? Davis has to ask himself, how can I make this competitive on the scorecards? He has to ask himself another question. Do I have the stamina to hang with this guy? There's another question. Can I stop him? If I go after his body, like I did Ryan Garcia's, am I going to be able to keep him from hitting me in the head with dozens of shots? Just look at the punch stat numbers. Look at the punches landed, the headshots landed by Navarrete against Valdez, right? I know Davis is in a verbal war right now with Terrence Crawford. Let's be real. I believe Crawford Davis is uncompetitive. Crawford's simply too much of a technician, right? That's southpaw against southpaw. The fact that Davis is a southpaw is not going to throw Terrence Crawford in the slightest. He just beat southpaw Errol Spence. But this fight has a different dynamic, doesn't it? Right? Navarrete at times is orthodox. At other times, he's a southpaw. Right? I'm just telling you, a Davis-Navarrete fight would be a sellout. Would net both guys tens of millions of dollars. It's there in front of boxing. If I'm the Davis people, even though Davis hits harder, even though Davis is more efficient, I would be worried about this guy's unorthodoxy. I'd be worried about this guy's charisma. Right? Navarrete, simply put, is one of boxing's better interviews. Understand there is a language gap. He speaks in Spanish. But life's unfair. 
This is a guy with charisma. Right? This is a guy who knows how to work the press. This is a guy who people who don't know him, by the fourth round, they're going to be rooting for him because they see the swashbuckling style. And he's extremely proficient at it. I thought Navarrete won this fight by at least four rounds. I give Valdez, who is a warrior, who is a great ambassador for the sport, a lot of credit. He was outgunned. Just look at their faces. Valdez has a closed eye at the end of this. Valdez is swollen on half of his face. Right? Navarrete looks like he's just taken a shower. That's after throwing more than a thousand punches. A thousand punches over 12 rounds in a fight in which we hear Navarrete telling his corner that he can't throw his right hand because it's injured. Right? Keep an eye on him. The flaws make the diamond. This is Stan Musial. Right? This is Coltrane. This is Gillespie. This is a guy going off beat, going off key by design because he's doing it his way. And folks, he does it well. That's how I see it. Let me hear from you. You cashed on an easy underdog here, even if you're going to make Navarrete an underdog. How was he only given a 40% chance of winning this fight against a very orthodox Oscar Valdez? Crazy. If he's a plus 150 against Valdez, you can only imagine what the odds would be were he to fight Gervonta Davis. In my opinion, believe it or not, this guy would be the betting side of the play, right? If they give you a plus 170, a plus 180, all right, great. I'll take this guy, right? A guy who's throwing a thousand punches over 12 rounds might have an edge when it comes to winning a decision. If you're going to give me a plus 180, okay, great. That bet makes itself. I'll take the guy with the volume. I'll hedge the play with the slugger by KO. Anyway, that's how I see it. Gervonta Davis would be the slugger I'd take by KO as a hedge to Navarrete, who likely would be a plus 180, if not higher, in that fight. Anyway, that's the fight I saw. Let me hear about the fight you saw in the comment section of this YouTube video. Thanks for stopping by.